Girlfriends, episode number 334, Finding Hope When Kids Leave the Faith. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about the tough topic of when kids leave the faith. So heartbreaking, and yet such a common story. I've got two good friends and fellow authors here joining me today to talk about this important topic. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriend, glad you are here. Thanks so much for joining me. I am recording from the Tiki Hut. (laughs) It's been a long time since I did this. I used to record out here all of the time. And so for anybody who's a newer listener and doesn't remember the good old days when I used to record out here all the time, I'll explain there is a Tiki Hut in my front yard. And it's been there ever since my 40th birthday, when my husband Dan threw a party for me. And as part of the party, he said, I am going to build a tiki hut to go like he wanted like a tropical themed party. And he said, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna build it in the yard. And my husband, Dan, he he built our house. And I often say that uh, building is his love language, because this is what he does. He'll do projects for me and renovate things in the house. And he recently remodeled our whole kitchen. And I'm so grateful for all of the skills that he has. So I knew it would be a, a substantial project. But what I didn't know was that it was going to be like a actually really big thing, a structure in our yard, until like I saw the concrete truck <laughs> backing up in our driveway. And you know, pouring the concrete for this structure. Anyway, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's got a bar inside. Um, it's, it's open air. It's not like closed sides, but it has a roof on it and uh, covered with thatch that he ordered. And it was delivered here from Mexico. He replaces it periodically because it doesn't always last very well here in our New England weather. Most tiki huts that have thatch, real thatch roofs are in uh, tropical locations. But I mean, and we do take it down in the in the wintertime, not the tiki hut, but the thatch. Anyway, It's a beautiful location to hang out or do some work. And I sometimes like to sit out here with my morning cup of coffee in uh, the summertime when it's kind of cool in the mornings. It's really a beautiful spot to hang out. It's also a good spot to just sit and um, record an episode of Girlfriends. So thank you for joining me here in the Tiki Hut. I'm so excited to share with you today's topic that I'm going to be talking about with co-authors Roxanne Solonen and Patty McGuire Armstrong. Together, Roxanne and Patty have written a newly released book from Ascension Press, which is called What Would Monica Do? So it's really looking at St. Monica as that example, that prayerful example of a mom whose child has gone astray from the faith that she raised him in, and she's praying him back. Of course, that story of St. Augustine, which is so inspiring and encouraging for moms in those kinds of situations. Any mom who's who's praying for their child. But I can't wait to share this conversation with you because Patty and Roxanne speak from the heart about this topic. And it's a, you know, it's a very sensitive topic. And it's one that many people suffer from. But I think being able to share personally about it and um, share their their friendship that they've actually built together through the years, sharing not only about this topic, but sharing their lives together as a Catholic women. And um, they're just a really encouraging example to me. First of all, a female friendship. I, I love the friendship that they have and the way that they relate with one another and the way that they complement each other 
other's working and writing styles. But then they're also an inspiration to me as faith-filled moms who are steadfast in their prayer lives, supporting their kids, but then just sharing some of the ups and downs of that very real struggle that many of us can relate to, especially when we're worried about our kids, our big kids who might not be staying in the faith the way that we envisioned. Such a heartbreaking topic and they take it on so well. So can't wait to share this conversation with you. Take a listen. I am blessed to have two special friends joining me here today on Girlfriends. Patty McGuire Armstrong and Roxanne Solonen are joining me today. Patty Armstrong is an award-winning, best-selling author and journalist with National Catholic Register and other Catholic media, as well as a talk show host for Ladies of Another View, a secular news program. She has raised 10 children and has 15 grandchildren. Roxanne Solonen is a wife and a mother of five from Fargo, North Dakota, and she's an award-winning children's author and freelance writer, Catholic radio host and speaker. She writes on faith for her state's largest daily, a pro-life column for her diocesan magazine, and for various other publications, including the National Catholic Register. And today, they're here to talk about their newest project that they're working on together, What Would Monica Do?, a new book coming out from Ascension Press, a book about parents whose children are away from the faith and how to handle it through their own experience, Meditating with St. Monica. That's a lot. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Patty and Roxanne, welcome to Girlfriends. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. So happy to have you both here. Now, I've known you on and off through the years through various ways that we've been blessed to be able to work together and, you know, share each other's work. And I've been such a fan of what both of you are doing. So I was thrilled when I saw that you were working on this project together. I'm going to start with you, Roxanne. Can you just share with us a little bit about how this book came to be? Why why now? Patty and I met through an article that one of our mutual Catholic writer friends had done and featured. And I, I saw that she was a writer from North Dakota, and I was surprised to know that there was another kind of veteran Catholic writer out there in my state. It's a pretty small state, but we're on different ends of the state. And But my mother lives in Bismarck, North Dakota, where Patty lives. And so I ended up reaching out to her. Just I thought, I need to know this woman. <laughs> she has twice as many kids as I do. I have five. She has 10. So she must have some wisdom. I, You know, you are always looking for those mentors that can then help along the way. And just a friendship, too, because we had so many things in common. And that's a rare right. find, you know. And so eventually we, we connected. We ended up uh, meeting at a tea shop. Uh, that was like our first actual long meeting. And then from there, every time I would visit my mom, I would go over to Patty's because actually I found out she doesn't live that far from my mom and we would walk around the golf course near her house and have lots of wonderful conversations. And so a lot of that ended up being um, just sharing about our professional life and also even more, I would say, about our families and just the different trials and joys of family life. And it was just such a treasure. But we realized we had this common bond of having children who had had or were leaving the faith, not all of them, but some of them. And that was, mm-hmm. that was a particular heartache. Um, so we, we wanted to do a project together. And ultimately, even though this wasn't the one we would have wanted to do, it came to us that this was the one that was needed. And so we prayed a lot about it and ended up connecting with Ascension and are delighted to do so. So that's kind mm-hmm. of how it all happened. Wow. Wow. So Patty, what was your experience like first meeting Roxanne and beginning to talk about this project? You know, I was I was so grateful that she took the initiative to make that connection with us because I had also noticed the article and thought, oh, there's somebody in Fargo doing the same thing I am. So when she did reach out to me, especially because her mother goes to my parish, she sits uh, 
usually right near me at daily mass. (laughs) And I did not know that was her mother. So it's a beautiful connection and a beautiful friendship. And you know, Danielle, anytime we go to these Catholic conferences, you just wish you had all these ladies in your neighborhood. And here I kind of do have Roxanne in my backyard and she does come to Bismarck. And when we walk, we often walk together around the golf course. And sometimes we don't, we're not done talking. So we go around again. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been a lot of fun. And and being in the Catholic media, the fact that our faith is so near and dear to us, because I was in the secular world for a while, and Roxanne has also done that, and it, I made a, a decision to write for the Catholic world, which pays less, mm. but but the rewards are so much more. Right. Um, and then for this to be so important to us, and then to have had some of our kids leave the faith, it's... Um, it, it is a cross, mm-hmm. and we navigate it in prayer. And like Roxanne said, there were other books we talked about doing together. This was not one we wanted to do. Right. <laughs> and and when Roxanne first presented the idea to me, she did it knowing that expecting resistance from me, which she got. And I said, well, no, I, I do plan on writing such a book after everybody's back. She said, no, I think we need to do it now. And she did convince me, and I'm so glad we did it. Uh, the blessings have, have from the beginning, mm-hmm. there have been many blessings and, and there isn't another book out there like this. And so I, I'm glad that in, in all the way around, Roxanne seems to be the one taking the initiative and I'm glad for it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I, I love that. I love that you, you kind of bonded over this mm-hmm. and that she had to nudge you a little bit to that now is the time to share this because I think that that's a hesitation many people feel and yet it is so important. And, you know, when I saw that you were coming out with this book, I said, finally, you know, <laughs> finally, someone's actually talking about this thing mm-hmm. that is you know, everyone, you everywhere you turn, there's somebody who's experiencing this. So people are not alone in it. But you can feel like you're alone in it if you're browsing through Catholic media and it's like nobody is addressing this topic. Or and and I understand that people don't want to maybe on social media be kind of airing their dirty laundry with their young adult children or whatever, different ways that maybe they're feeling discouraged or disappointed. And yet I think what you've done here is is very it's so valuable, but it's also courageous. And I want to thank you for doing that. But to that point, Roxanne, was was there a part of you that was hesitating about this? Did you have to run this by your family, like what you were going to share and that kind of thing? (laughs) Yeah. And and we talked a lot about that. We had a lot of meetings with Ascension early on before we ever entered into a contract. And we actually started that with Matt Pinto, who was the founder and ended up leaving in in the middle of it all, but he really helped us get (laughs) us on our feet. And they were very respectful and sensitive to the fact that this was something that was very tender for us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting because as it unfolded, Danielle, we realized we felt more confident as we went along because what we realized is this is less a book about our children leaving the faith and like judging them or whatever. It's more about our own faith. And what we need to do to come closer to the Lord, because at the end of the day, the only thing we can really control is ourselves. And it was a beautiful realization and kind of freed us. And also Ascension was very helpful in that regard in terms of there's a lot of stories in our book and we we keep them anonymous because, again, this is a tender topic. Like we all have the hope that our children will return. That's the goal. And but we but we did feel like we we wanted others to have the the companionship that we had had in each other. And we knew that there were people out there lonely and, and just unable to speak to that. And that's 
-hmm. not what God wants. And so that's why we took the risk. But ultimately, again, in the end, it, it turned out to be a book about our own faith and our own need for more and more fidelity. Right. And with St. Monica as your guide, Patty, could you talk to us a little bit about that? Maybe there's someone listening who's not all that familiar with St. Monica. Can you introduce us and let us know why she is so relevant to this topic? Yes, we did not assume that everybody knew about St. Monica. So we started from the beginning. And she lived during the 5th century and um, on into the into the 6th century a little bit. And she, you think, oh, so long ago, what could she have in common with us? And she prayed for her son for 17 years, and he was St. Augustine. He became a saint. So it was, a, it was a long time that she prayed, and a lot of parents who have a child away from the faith will turn to St. Monica. But um, I used to not like that story. I used to think, 17 years, and she got one <laughs> conversion out of it. <laughs> you know, I want to convert the world, and I know you do too. I'm with you. And I think, I, I really want my efforts to produce Immediately. More, uh, yeah, at, at yeah. least a year, right? <laughs> like, bring it down to a year. <laughs> yes. And I thought 17 years and one conversion. But I listened to a homily once that opened my mind and I realized how powerful what, what God did. It was on the Feast of St. Augustine and we had a, a priest, Father Kramer, who said, oh, uh, it's the Feast of St. Augustine and his books, even though he lived in the fifth century, his books are still in bookstores today. And it suddenly hit me that her prayers for her son has reached for hundreds of years, for 1500 years and more has reached into today's world, into the modern world, and it's touched both all of Christendom. He's one of the greatest theologians ever. And then I realized, how could one person's prayers accomplish so much? Right. So it really opened my eyes. And what Roxanne and I discovered in our research is that her life isn't really so unlike the lives of so many parents today. Mm -hmm. Her husband was not practicing the faith, didn't believe it until the end. Her son went off to school, got into New Age religion, came back with a girlfriend, unmarried, and a child. She battled with whether she should let him stay under their roof. So a lot of these, yeah, this a sounds lot very of these modern. Are <laughs> the same issues we all grapple with today. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think I love that, and I, I love the reminder that the the saints aren't these otherworldly people. They're people who lived in the world and dealt with these everyday kinds of situations and problems, just like we did. So, how is the book structured, Roxanne? Can you explain to us a little bit? Because with two authors, um, how did you how did you navigate that? Yeah, I have a little. So we start out kind of we call it wooing and relating. This was kind of more of a guide for us. Um, and mm -hmm. then um, I'm trying to find my little thing that I have here that because I, you know, after you write a book, you forget. But um, and then and, <laughs> and then it's walking alongside. And, and, and I, I'm just going to pause here and explain something because I think it's an important point. Sometimes you have a book where there's an expert and then there's the readers, right, that take in this wonderful information from this expert. Mm -hmm. In this case, Patty and I are in the veil with our readers. Like we, we continue to be in the veil throughout the whole thing and we continue to be in that veil now. And so we are actually right there with everyone. This is a book where we we are anxious to read our book again as readers because we need it still as much as we did as we were writing it, you know, and, and as much mm -hmm. as we feel our readers do. So anyway, it's walking and relating is the second part. And then the final part is the landing. And so those are the kind of three sections that we lay out. We begin kind of 
identifying and just naming the issue, just in, in, in telling some stories. And we have some really beautiful stories that, that people contributed um, anonymously, but um, they kind of mm-hmm. help tell the modern day affliction and some of the causes and some of the complications of, of the situation we're in. You know, another interesting point, I think, is we realized that it was a, it was a new, new Christian world at the time. It was pagan into Christian. And now we're in a situation that's reversed. It's Christian into paganism. Mm-hmm. And so in, a, in right. a weird way there too, there was another odd parallel where there was this mixture of these two different worldviews clashing. And so mm-hmm. it, it became even more re- relevant again as we realized it's, it's reversed, but it's, there's a similarity to it. Right, right. Patty, what was it like for you writing this book together with somebody else? You've written other books and you've got this long career. I mean, Roxanne does too, but you've got this long career of your own, writing your own things. Um, What was it like to co-author something? I have co-authored things before and Roxanne and I, we just have such a beautiful friendship and it was challenging at times. Mm -hmm. And in ways that we didn't never had to challenge ourselves before. And that was part of the process where we had to really lean on God and pray and work things out because we didn't always do things the same way. And it's very humbling, but we knew that it was an important work. Mm-hmm. And so if there were times where we struggled, we realized the spiritual warfare aspect of that. And um, in the whole writing of the book, we we didn't just rely on Roxanne and Patty. We reached out to, there were scripture and experts and so many stories, some very powerful stories that, that will make it part of a community that, you know, we walked together and we brought so many people in. And one of the reasons we made it anonymous, I think this is important to say because it was eye-opening for us. We thought the people that had stories of their children coming back, and some of these people are names that everybody would recognize that are well-known in the Catholic media. Mm -hmm. They did not want to be known or they they might've been willing to share their stories, but you become so vulnerable and so fragile and so mm-hmm. somebody who has a long-running EWTN program who gave me permission to share his story didn't want to get into it beyond the surface. And I had asked him, I bet you never thought any of your children would leave the faith. And they had come back by then. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I thought if I raised them right, they would never leave. Right. So join the club. That's <laughs> what we all thought. But there, yes. we didn't anticipate the world's pull to be as strong as it was. And when you... When you teach your children the faith when they're young, you get very good results because it's the truth and they're innocent and they're open to everything. But the struggles are very real. But that's part of why I think a lot of people in the Catholic media don't want other people to necessarily know their personal struggles. First of Mm -hmm. all, we all have our privacy we want to guard in our families. But we also realize that there's oftentimes people on the journey that are going to judge us. Sure. Yeah, Their children have, haven't left home yet, or maybe their children haven't left the faith. And so we wanted to guard against that. And that's why we let everybody be anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very real. And, you know, what what you described as, oh, if I just did it right, they wouldn't leave the faith. And I think that's many people's approach. And in the end, that's sort of the humbling thing every parent needs to come to terms with is that 
our kids aren't these projects that we're going to get a grade on and we don't do any of it. You know, we're, we're cooperators with God's grace in our children's lives, but it's not like check all the boxes and you're going to get guaranteed outcomes. And that's a really tough thing to come to terms with. But both of you have mentioned the inspiring stories. And I love that you share through these stories in the book, because I think stories are really a powerful way of making these themes come alive, making these topics relatable, encouraging and supporting people. Um, is there any particular story that either of you would like to share and you know just as an example of the kinds of stories that are in the book I, I want to say that the one story where I did identify is one that I did for the amazing grace series and I just had to do it father Don Calloway okay because his story is one of the worst of the worst <laughs> <laughs> he's every I, I, parent's I, nightmare <laughs> I've told him that and I've said you know father Don I just think that God picked you up because you were so bad I just can't imagine <laughs> I don't know anybody that was as, was as bad and so you are every parent's hope right? because right. of his dramatic conversion. And I had later also interviewed his mother, Lachita, in Amazing Grace for Mothers because I wanted to hear the mother side of it. Right. Because I, I, was, I had not had children that left the faith at that point, but I knew that a mother's heart had to be breaking when her child was so far off the track there. So, right. um, but, but yeah, so share a little bit of his story because not everybody knows it. Well, when I found him, I just saw a little, little blurb in Marion Helper magazine that he was ready to be a priest and his mom always stayed with him, hung in there with him, even though he was a high school dropout. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, there must be a lot of drama in this story. So I called him <laughs> and I was on the phone with him for four hours. Oh, he, was kicked, he had been kicked out of the country of Japan. His dad, who was in the Navy, uh, it, he was creating an international incident because his father had to leave Japan. But first they had to find him because he had run away and he kind of hooked up and created his own little crime syndicate because in Japan there wasn't they, crime wasn't a problem but this this rash of crimes there was this white boy who was present at the scene so they started to figure it out he had a drug problem uh, he was just one bad dude and his conversion happened overnight now we all pray for those overnight conversions and he's a priest now he's a catholic right. priest now the, the boy who dropped out of high school. An amazing, faithful priest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we know that anything is possible. And those are the kind of stories. And we also have a story of, um, I forget his name. He's a saint. Um, he was a Satanist. And he came from a Catholic family. And his family prayed for him. And he had a conversion. Wow, and he amazing. is now a saint. So not all the stories are as dramatic, but those are so dramatic that nobody can say, yeah, but my kid is is even worse. Nobody right, can say right. that. Yeah. No, all things are possible with yep. God. Roxanne, are there any particular stories that you want to highlight? No, I'm thinking of one that came towards the end of the book. And it was actually the reverse kind of situation where I interviewed a young lady whose parents had left the faith and she had had a dramatic conversion back into the faith. And I, I think wow. that just highlights that the book, although we do kind of structure it around parents, there's also grandparents. There are children who are praying for their, their parents to come back to the faith. There are people whose siblings have left the faith. It is so rampant right now. Like I said, we're going into a pagan culture from our, our Christian culture. It is a post-Christian culture. That's hard for me to even say that, but it is the truth. And I think mm -hmm. the sooner we recognize that, the more we can kind of get to work and, and start, uh, 
checking in with God a little bit more, uh, worshiping a little bit more. I mean, because at the end of the day, that's really all we have at our disposal is our relationship with God and just to grow closer to him. But that particular story um, had a beautiful little surprise in the middle of it. And I'm not going to give it away, but I will say if you stick it out to the end, there's like a little mm-hmm. a little blessing in there that that I think a lot of people will really just love. So um, so so we have a, just a little bit of everything from all different kinds of perspectives. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and I, I love that you, you you share that there's that variety there because I, I think that that sort of speaks to the fact that this is a universal problem. This is the world, right? We're we're all on a journey and we're not all there yet, and people are in different places. So I I think that's what I really loved about sort of the feel of your book is that it has this welcoming, encouraging tone to it, where you're not going to feel like you're getting hit over the head, you're getting invited in, kind of sharing, but also, you know, commiserating and understanding that this is a a heartbreaking problem that many parents do face. Now, when I was reading your book, and and this book is just launching, um, when this this podcast publishes, it'll be just launching, just getting birthed into the world, as you, Roxanne, are are launching some kids who are getting married (laughs) this summer, you're also launching this book. But are What occurs to me as I'm looking at it is here's an opportunity to bring people together and really form community and connections. Do either of you have plans for any kind of supplemental resources or ways of connecting online or otherwise about this topic? Well, for one thing, we started a Facebook group page. um, And so that's already. And when you were talking about uh, how it's kind of universal, it was interesting because at one point we we launched it about six months ago just to kind of start the conversation and, and just really to start journeying with people. And, and at one mm-hmm. point I said, where are y'all from? <laughs> you know, I don't usually say y'all, I'm from <laughs> North Dakota. But anyway, it was interesting because people were, there's, you know, someone from Mexico, someone from Norway. There, I was really surprised that wow. people from all over the world were finding us. I was shocked. And so, but also very heartened and, and saddened to think that this really is so pervasive that it really is a, a universal issue. So, um, right. yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention is um, going back to to working together and kind of that Patty and I did have some struggles along the way. But at the same time, I think we realized from the very beginning um, that this book was going to be so much richer with the two of us. Like I, it, it just couldn't be what it is without both of us coming together. We each had different strengths that we brought to it. And so as much as possible, we want to launch it together, too, because it really was a true collaboration through and through. And and God saw us through to the end and we finished on the, the Feast of St. Monica, which we didn't even realize actually <laughs> was until we looked at the date and we're like, oh my heavens, the day we're turning this in um, is like the day. And so that's also the day that it's going to come out. So yeah. She planned that. That's I think beautiful. So. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, how about you, Patty? Are you active on that Facebook group or are you connecting with people in other ways? Yes. Yes, I am. Once again, uh, Roxanne <laughs> took the lead in that. And it is it is a beautiful community because... Roxanne and I have each other, but a lot of people don't have others. And I, I have friends too, and I know Roxanne does, that we understand we have this shared intention and love and concern for our children. Um, and I want to also reiterate what Roxanne said, the fact that we came together, we did bring our strengths together, and it was very beautiful. And when I, I look back on the book and realize I could not have written this by myself. Right. And what Roxanne and I did together multiplied our talents and it it is the book is a community and the and even beginning with the two authors who wrote together right. it really is a community i love that i think it speaks to relationship which is everything right and so that's why again we wanted to call people out gently 
from the dark places and from the sorrow and let them know it's a very hopeful book mm -hmm. too even though it also explores all of the difficulties there's a lot of hope sprinkled throughout and so we want to give that to others because we've had that and we need that hope ourselves like i said absolutely so yeah i want to add to that and say when when roxanne says hope there's a lot of healing mm -hmm. in the book because we look during our brainstorming sessions that we did with uh, matt pinto and joanne um, we had quite a few sessions we did not want to leave any stone unturned. So we looked at everything from the culture to family relationships. Do we need forgiveness? Is there anger? Because a lot of times when something's so near and dear to your heart and your, and your child or loved one pulls away, there are going to be debates. There may be arguments. So we, we went to the experts. We have priests and therapists and exorcists and everything under the sun, scripture, where we want to also help people bring healing. And one chapter is worry is not a prayer. <laughs> we also want to relieve them of a burden. Not to say this is any less important than you think it is. It is very important. Maybe you might even have to make it more important than you are. Maybe you're like, oh, whatever, God loves them more than I do. We don't want to say it's not important, but we want to relieve people of the burden of feeling like, and now it's on you to fix it. You did mm -hmm. this. You forgot you, you messed up in some way, because really when you start looking at everybody's lives, we have priests in our diocese whose parents didn't go to mass, right. who didn't stay Catholic. So let's just take that off the table. If we have anything to be sorry for, let's be sorry, apologize, seek healing. But now let's go forward in union with Christ and recognize that the best thing we can do for our children is to go deeper in our own relationship with Christ. Beautiful. Beautiful. And and that so that so very well sums up the tone of the book, I think, that it's it's very forward looking and hopeful. But in recognizing the very real challenge that people in these situations face. Um, we're almost out of time, but before we wrap up, I want to give you each an opportunity to maybe speak to a mom who's listening right now, somebody who's in this situation, or maybe a mom of toddlers who's terrified of this happening, because I know they're out there. And um, maybe what words of encouragement might you offer to a mother who's who's worried about a kid going astray in that way? I'll start with you, Roxanne. Oh, I was going to let Patty start. Okay. Um, <laughs> you want to put Patty on the hot yeah. seat? That's cool. <laughs> do, do you want to... Uh, I don't mind going first if you if you prefer. Um, you mentioned a mom with toddlers, and when we had young children, we looked to the people who had all the answers. And mm -hmm. so we don't have all the answers, but God has all the answers and has all the comfort, and our faith has those answers. And so wherever you are in your journey, this book is to lift you up and to relieve you of the burden that you might be putting on yourself, not the responsibility, but the burden to think that you can do more or you should have done more than you were capable of. Because ultimately, this is about their individual faith. And it's one thing that we simply cannot control, but we can pray for them. We can have an effect on them. And we can totally, even if they don't want us to, we're going to pray for them. And we're <laughs> going to trust all of heaven is going to be joining us in our intention that they come back to the faith. Absolutely. I love that. And what might you add to that, Roxanne? I would just say that don't forget, I know it sounds so cliche, but God loves your children even more than you do. So take that love and intensify it many fold. And know that when you raised your children up to, and gave them to God in baptism and all of the sacraments, he took that seriously. And when you, when your child is consecrated to the Lord in that way, he doesn't undo it. He's never going to throw him back and say, you know, 
just didn't quite work out. Thanks anyway. Right, <laughs> he has right. them. He has them, and he has them more than we can imagine. And it's it's an invisible thing, you know, the sacramental graces, but they don't go away. Even when our children are wandering away, and ha- it feels like they're, they've forsaken everything we tried to give them, and it's a stab to the heart again and again. Right. He is lovingly, you know, uh, guiding them and encouraging them, putting people in their paths like St. Ambrose was in St. Augustine's path. You know, Monica did not cause his conversion. It was it was God working with her prayers and also introducing him to other people. Like, there's so many things involved, and we just have to stand back and trust and like go to our knees in prayer, but also not like Patty said, not with worry in our heart, but with trust and confidence that God will bring our children to where they need to be. And I know that's a lot like to surrender that and our will to God is very hard, but step by step we can do it. And with each other, we have the encouragement of one another to to do that with us. So yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. We, we talk about that all the time here on Girlfriends. It's all about surrender and trust. And if we can just figure out that much everything else is going to fall into place. I'm a work in progress, and I know you are too. My guests today have been Patty McGuire Armstrong and Roxanne Solomon, who are co-authors of the newly released book from Ascension Press, What Would Monica Do? Roxanne and Patty, I just want to thank you for coming on today. But even more importantly, thank you for sharing your hearts in this book. I know it's going to bless so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to to share about it. And we hope people will be very blessed by reading it. God bless you. Yes. Thank you, Danielle. It's been such a blessing talking with you. Just, yeah, just a group of friends. I love it. I always love connecting with the both of you for any excuse. That's what I love about the Girlfriends (laughs) podcast. All right, coming up, we've got more of the show for you, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to the Girlfriends podcast. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista. When I became Catholic, I had a really hard time understanding the role Mary was supposed to play in my life. So I went to her and I told her, I just don't get it. I need your help. And guess what? Mary did just that. She showed me a way to pray that has revolutionized my entire life. Mary has been called the mother of listening. She didn't just hear the word. She knew how to hear it in light of her own relationships, circumstances, and habits. And then she let the word transform her. I realized that I had to share what I was learning about Mary's way of praying with others. So I wrote How to Pray Like Mary, a step-by-step guide to discovering God's voice in the scriptures and letting Him transform your heart. I invite you to learn more about How to Pray Like Mary at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share a little bit of listener feedback with you, sometimes a question that has come to me from a listener And this week, I heard from listener Sophia, who um, wrote me an email. And this is what Sophia says. She says, first of all, thank you for all that you do. A year ago, almost to the day, I started listening to your podcast as a newlywed. And from that, I grew into reading scripture more, praying daily, and discovering my vocation. I'm still working personally on struggles with worry and anxiety. But at your inspiration, I have learned adoration helps so much to keep these temptations at bay. I have a question about hopeful motherhood. I have such a strong, intense calling for motherhood. I've been married a bit over a year. My husband and I just started actively trying three months ago. We know NFP well, so it's been easy to track fertility. However, it's been hard to wait. One thing that is really hard for me in the process is the two-week wait. 
I just want to take all the tests, Google every symptom, overanalyze and get worried and feel like my prayers become all about this single aspect of my life for two full weeks. Then when the tests are negative, I try to control everything and pinpoint why it didn't work. I'm wondering if you or the community have any resources for me to help me bear the two-week wait and the whole conception process more gracefully. I know logically that God knows the best timing for us, but of course, emotionally and vocationally, I'm like, come on, God, I'm ready. I'd love some ideas to help me out. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for your honesty, Sophia. I think many of us, whether we're, you know, struggling with fertility or trying to conceive or, you know, whatever it is that's going on in your life, we can relate to that idea of wanting to control. And it's such a hard thing. It is such a hard thing to let go of control in any situation, but in, especially in those parts of our lives where we really care about it. And obviously, this is such, a, it's beautiful. Your call to motherhood is a beautiful thing. And I know that God is going to bless it in his own way and in his own time. But I also understand that temptation to control it all, to want to kind of hold tightly, you know, this tight grip on what this is something that's going to affect your life in a big way. So I totally understand that. So I would just say, first of all, you know, it's good that you're recognizing that it's not quite balanced the way that you're approaching this. And you know what, that really is actually a big step (laughs) because recognizing the issue is the first step toward addressing it and doing something about it. So you're recognizing this is not how you want to be approaching this. It feels unbalanced. It it feels kind of obsessive and you're not not liking that. It's, It's really not making this whole process an enjoyable thing for you. And so recognizing that is really important. So then I'm going to encourage you to address it. I'm going to encourage you to let go of that control. And of course, that's easier said than done, as you've just kind of spelled out that like you are fully invested in this emotionally and vocationally and spiritually. Just it it feels like such an all encompassing thing. So it's really hard to not get kind of obsessive about it. But so I'm going to give you a a little bit of advice. and, And this has worked for me. And it sounds crazy. And it might even sound dumb. But this has worked for me, not with trying to conceive but with other things that I've been tempted to worry about. I once heard the advice to give yourself permission to worry for 15 minutes. And I'm going to suggest this to you. If you want to allow yourself in these times, you know, you're saying like this two-week wait kind of time, if you're struggling with this and it's an ongoing thing, give yourself permission for 15 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be 15 minutes, but a short length of time, okay? Not an hour, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Schedule it. And tell yourself, I am allowed to think about this, obsess about this, worry about this, ruminate about this, just generally obsessively think about this thing for these 10 to 15 minutes. Like say you're going to do it 9 o'clock to 9.15 a.m. each day. And that sounds really dumb, but I think what happens is, and when I've experimented with doing this, um, when I was tempted to worry about certain things or have anxiety about certain things, is it kind of compartmentalizes it rather than allowing it to kind of take over all of your day. And it actually allows you, at least it worked for me, to see how fruitless that worrying and that kind of anxiety can be. So allow yourself that. Schedule it. 15 minutes every day that you were allowed to think about this and worry about this. And then in all the other hours of the day, all the other moments of the day, when it pops into your mind and you have that temptation to begin to ruminate, begin to obsess, begin to have anxiety about it, then you just tell yourself, nope, you know, as many times as you need to. Nope, 
not until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Not going to think about that. Not going to worry about that. And yeah, it very much is a practice that, you know, takes discipline, of course, and you might have to do it a thousand times in the day, but you can retrain your brain. You can retrain your thought patterns. And if you just, if you allow your, your thoughts to just, you know, wander and obsess and continue to kind of build anxiety over things, then, you know, that's establishing a habit of thought and you're embracing it. But in this way, you're not embracing it. You're rejecting it as many times as it comes into your head. You say, no, I'm, I've got this on the schedule. I'm going to, I'm going to worry about this tomorrow at 9am. And, and then, you know, move on to something else. And on repeat, you know, I understand that it's probably not going to be like one, one and done when it pops into your mind and you have to reset your brain. But the good news is the more you do this, you are establishing a new habit of thinking and you're taking control of your thoughts. And this is actually a very empowering thing because some of us, I think, walk around feeling like we're victims of our thoughts and you're not. You're the boss of your thoughts and you get to be in control of what you're thinking about. And it's something you need to be choosing. Yes, you can't choose that something pops into your head, whether it's a temptation or it's just a random thought that might cause you anxiety. You do get to choose if you're going to embrace it and dive deep into that that thought or if you're going to reject it and say, no, I'm not doing that right now. That's on the schedule for tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. That's when I'm going to ruminate about this thing. So try that. It really did work for me in uh, certain situations in the past where I felt myself, and, and I totally relate to what you're describing there, and I think many people do, that when when something big is going on in your life, there is that temptation to kind of just obsessively think about it and do things about it, like be, you know, checking your apps or checking your email or Googling things and, you know, getting obsessively getting information about it. That's not actually helpful and it's only going to increase your anxiety. So retrain your brain in that way. But then I would suggest, so that you distract yourself. What can you do to distract yourself? If you're spending a lot of time and energy ruminating about this, guess what? The good news is you've got some time and energy to spare. Is there a project that you could take on? Maybe you want to paint the dining room. Maybe you want to clean out the garage. Or is there something you've always wanted to do? Like maybe you want to launch a podcast or volunteer at a homeless shelter, or you've always wanted to write a book. Is there something big that you could just kind of dive deep into. And even if you don't complete the project or whatever, you won't be sorry that you did, especially if it's something that's kind of been on your bucket list, something you've wanted to do for a long time. You won't be sorry that you spent the time on it. Give yourself something new to kind of put all of that energy into. Maybe it's going to be taking on a new exercise program or, you know, you're going to take up training for a half marathon or something. You won't be sorry that you did. It won't be wasted effort and make it something that's going to be a positive in your life. Maybe learning a new skill. Maybe you want to teach yourself how to how to bake something or, you know, making bread from scratch or you want to um, take swimming lessons or whatever. Whatever it is, I don't know what your your particular interests are and what's on your bucket list, but give some thought to that and make a big commitment to a big project, something big. And I promise you, it's going to distract you and it's going to pull you away from that. Also, I'm going to recommend, and, and this is going to be a surprise to nobody who's who's listened to recent episodes of the podcast, I'm going to recommend that you pray the Surrender Novena. I don't know, it was probably about four months ago now that I did a whole episode on it. And I will link it up in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. But the Surrender Novena is just a powerful novena for letting go, surrendering your life your whole self to Jesus, which is 
all that any of us ever needs to be doing. And it's a really beautiful, simple prayer practice. And yeah, it's a novena, so it's nine days, but it has a little reflection for every day and just a repeating of that phrase, oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything, where each day of the novena, you repeat that 10 times. And, you know, I don't just pray the novena. I like to make that that novena a part of my everyday prayer practice so that I'm I'm just always praying a different day of that novena in my my daily morning prayer because I find it such a helpful reminder of what we're called to be doing which is turning our lives over to Jesus. So once you do make a habit of praying that novena, the good news is when those those thoughts, those temptations toward those thoughts come into your mind, then you have a go-to prayer that's very simple and is a reminder of what you're meant to be doing. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. And it's it's just a verbal and even just feels even physical when you're saying it. And sometimes I've I've done this where I'll repeat that prayer even out loud in the midst of, you know, my day where I might be distracted or I might be tempted to start to have anxiety about something. Just it's a reminder to repeat that prayer and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Fake it till you make it. You know, pray that prayer. And even if you're not feeling like you're fully surrendering to Jesus yet, pray it with goodwill. And, and you know, Jesus is going to respond to that. He's going to give you the grace to grow in trusting him. So those are my thoughts. But other people might have some particular resources if this is an experience you've had of trying to conceive and, and being impatient in the process and having anxiety about it. If there's something particular that helped you, I would love to hear from you. And I can share it with Sophia. I can he- share it here on a future episode of Girlfriends. Email me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. I'm also Danielle Bean on every form of social media, so you can connect with me there. All right, that's all the time we have for today. But before we go, I want to give you an invitation, a little bit of encouragement to please consider joining us over at the Girlfriends community. If you enjoy what we share here on the podcast, the community really is a beautiful way that we can go deeper about some of these topics and that we can connect in a truly personal way without the distractions that are on social media. It really is an invested, authentic community of women who are coming together for the unique purpose of encouraging and supporting each other in daily Catholic life. It's really a beautiful thing. I'm so grateful for those of you who have joined us over there. I'm really enjoying getting to know you through our conversations about faith, about family, about marriage, about parenting, even some of the fun stuff like sharing recipes or or talking about the laundry or, you know, just sharing cute pictures and whatnot as we're, we're going about our, our days. I find it so encouraging to know all the different walks of life that all of you are in. And it's just a beautiful personal way that we can connect. And especially fun has been our twice weekly live video chat. So when you join the Girlfriends community over at girlfriendscommunity.com, you get access to these twice a week. We have these live video chats led by me. And every month we're focusing on a different virtue. So for the month of August, we're focused on the virtue of charity. And we're we're just talking about what that means. And we're, we're looking at some of the wisdom from the saints. And we're looking at scripture and really looking to encourage each other to learn more about our Catholic faith and grow in virtue with one another. We're, we're holding each other accountable and encouraging each other all at the same time. So we would love it if you would join us over there. So again, you can get all the 
the information you need. You can try it out for free at girlfriendscommunity.com. But for now, I just want to thank you for being here. You are already a part of the Girlfriends community just because you listen to the podcast. I'm so grateful for the fact that you take time out of your busy week to connect with me here. It really means the world to me that you're connecting with what we're sharing here. I'm so grateful for all the ways that you invite me into your life and share with me. Thank you so much for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 